This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for insights for global investors and access to research and expertise from across the investment industry. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is October 6, 2022. Markets experienced a brief ray of risk on light during the third quarter, but investors quickly retreated back into the risk-off shadows as the Fed reasserted its tough stance on taming inflation. Today on Perspectives, we take the temperature of the market and explore where investors are focused as we start the final quarter of the year. But let's start with where we were last quarter. For that, we'll turn to our familiar standby and friend of the pod. I'm Hitendra Vasani, part of MSCI's Global Solutions Research Team based in London. So global equities were down uh, 6.7% in the third quarter of 2022, and that brought the year-to-date losses to around 25%. Now, within global equities, if we look at emerging markets, uh, they registered the worst drawdown since the onset of the COVID pandemic. They're down 36% since the peak of February 2021. Now, taking a step back, uh, the investors' biggest challenges have been uh, navigating the high inflationary period, in recession concerns, and both those uh, macro concerns has manifested into elevated levels of both equity market and bond market volatility. Now, while these concerns are not new, uh, one could argue that they've actually intensified, and that's reflected in the factor performance that we've seen. Both momentum and minimum volatility uh, have outperformed at the equity level over the third quarter. What started out as a difficult first six months of 2022 turned into a volatile first nine months. And that serves as a reminder of an old industry saw that you don't fight the Fed. We'll let our second guest explain. I am Mark Carver. I'm the global head of equity factors and equity portfolio management here at MSCI. You don't fight the Fed is a very good reminder for the quarter in that the quarter started with relative confidence that maybe investors were, in fact, were expecting that the Fed and other central banks were going to reduce the intensity of rate increases and that maybe inflation wasn't as, uh, as problematic as people might have feared at the start of the year. And obviously that uh, shifted dramatically in mid-August when uh, we had a tough inflation print in the Fed put out a statement that, you know, they were going to effectively do what it takes to uh, to reduce inflation. And the result of that has been, you know, a sharp sell-off in the markets starting, you know, mid-August. And obviously, September was a very rough month. So I think the, you know, the fact is that it reminds us that the macro environment uh, can sometimes be the thing that dictates what happens in markets. And certainly what um, we saw this quarter was it had a big influence on investors' appetite for risk assets, investors' appetite for specific assets within equities. And um, overall, it was a pretty rough quarter. Does that old buzzsaw, don't fight the Fed, have any relevance to today's market? And I think in Q3, we learned that that is true because people were effectively betting that the Fed was going to change its stance. And the result of that was strong markets for the first part of the quarter. And then when it became clear that inflation was a little bit more persistent and that the Fed was going to be very aggressive fighting it, market sentiment completely reversed. And we saw incredible volatility 
toward the second, uh, second part of the quarter. The Fed fighting inflation meant higher interest rates. And higher interest rates tend to favor value stocks over growth stocks. And that's because uh, growth stocks tend to be long duration in nature. They're based on forward expectations of earnings. So when rates rise, uh, that discounts those expectations. And so they tend to fall more uh, when rates rise. On the flip side, uh, value stocks tend to have uh, lower earnings going far into the future, but may have higher earnings in the short term. So they tend to be lower duration. And so rising interest rates tend to impact value stocks less than they do growth stocks. And while that was the case in the first half of the year, the value trade outperformed by so much, it almost set itself up for a short term pullback. Questions on investors' minds is, given the hawkish Fed and on other central banks, rising rates, whether that's going to add more fuel to the value rally. The global macro conditions uh, remain highly fragile. That would be our third guest. Hi, my name is Abhishek Gupta. I'm a part of the Index Solutions Research Team at MSCI. We're seeing price pressures uh, that are running at the highest level since the 1980s. The U.S. Federal Reserve seems quite determined to crush inflation, even if it comes at the cost of a painful slowdown. Central banks globally also fighting the same battle. There are heightened uh, geopolitical tensions and surging energy prices that have really exposed the European economy. China, it has its own structural issues. So all in all, we are seeing that there is a great amount of uncertainty amongst investors globally. I also think it's very fascinating what investors are buying in what markets. And if we look globally, you say things like if we just look at ETFs, you know, yield in the classic value growth styles are doing really well. But in truth, when we break apart the globe, we see something quite different where buying in EMEA, for instance, strong flows uh, into value, into quality, where in the U.S. the flows are strongest in minimum volatility. I also think it's really notable that in this quarter, we saw positive flows in what you might call factors plus. These are factors plus ESG, factors plus ESG and climate. And what I think is relevant about that is that a lot of the ESG and climate investors, uh, they're looking at what's worked really well this year, which has been for much of the year, the value trade and the energy trade. And the climate investors have missed some of that. So volatility, inflation concerns, geopolitical unrest, all of this has investors searching for a life raft. Other than the brief double-dog dare against the Fed that Mark mentioned earlier, it seems like this has been the story all year. So was there any sort of life raft this quarter? Let's break it down from a sector and style factor perspective. Hatendra? So when we look at the performance of sectors and factors year-to-date over 2022, uh, we see some strong patterns. First of all, high dividend yield and minimum volatility have been the two best performing factor indexes. When we look at sectors, it's energy, healthcare, consumer staples and utilities. Now, if we rewind back to the beginning of the year, we actually produced a blog, a research blog titled Inflation, Heating Up, Sectors and Factors. And in that note, we highlighted that during a stagflation phase, 
characterized by slow growth and high inflation, the factors and sectors that have outperformed year to date were actually the ones that had outperformed based on 45 years of historical data in an environment that's similar to what we've experienced this year. Minimum volatility uh, year to date has been generally the standout factor. Generally, we're seeing very strong performance uh, in minimum volatility, uh, enhanced value, which we you know, probably would have expected. Factors that haven't done well that maybe uh, surprises some clients um, or some listeners is quality. The quality indexes across most major regions have underperformed this year. And, uh, you know, you would have thought potentially in a year where there's rising rates that quality companies would have been a bit more resilient given that they traditionally have stronger balance sheets and more steady profitability. Some of the challenge there seems to be the valuation of those names coming into the year where, you know, quality had traded relatively rich uh, versus its historical, you know, average to its parent indexes. Uh, so we're seeing some softness um, in the quality index performance this year. All right. We know where the market is right now, relatively speaking. And we know investors are back to hunkering down and avoiding risk. But there's another group of professionals out there that I want to talk about today. A group that Abhishek and his team have done some extensive research on as a factor consideration. That group is equity analysts. And it turns out that analyst sentiment has not only anticipated some changes in the market, but has been able to respond to those changes more quickly. Over the long term, we all know that fundamentals and valuations are something that drive equity prices. But in the short term, sentiment can have a lot more impact. Uh, an analyst's opinion of a certain stock summarizes how a variety of different forces, ranging from geopolitical, macroeconomic, country, industry, and stock-specific forces, and the interaction of all of these effects might impact the future performance of a company. Essentially, all of these macro and micro elements are baked into an analyst's view. There are many analysts that track the same stock. And while an individual analyst may be wrong, an average view across all analysts has historically proven to be right more often than not. And this means that historically, analyst sentiment has had some predictive power in forecasting the future performance of a company. We found that a portfolio that aims to capture analyst sentiment has outperformed global and regional market indexes such as the MSCI USA, MSCI developed markets, and emerging market indexes over the last 25 plus years. Now, there is some merit to breaking down this 25-year history into different market regimes. Uh, so we use growth and inflation as parameters, and we classify these macro regimes into periods of Goldilocks, heating up, slowdown, and stagflation. And what we found is that analyst sentiment has actually outperformed the broader equity benchmark in each one of these regimes. Now, this is starkly in contrast compared to what we see for other style factors, which do well in certain market regimes, but then they underperform in others. Uh, for instance, we know that the defensive strategies, such as low volatility or quality, they outperform when markets are declining, but tend to lag bullish markets. Now, that's interesting. I wonder why that is. So, an analyst forecast uh, indeed changes more frequently than reported fundamentals. 
And this would be true for, you know, periods of greater uncertainty, such as the one that we are witnessing today, or even during market inflection points. Changing forecasts reflect on a continuous basis, evolving market conditions. But on the downside, it can actually have challenging effects in terms of capturing the analyst sentiment signal within a portfolio while ensuring that the portfolio is still investable. Uh, now, having said that, it is possible to you know, dampen the volatility in the analyst forecasts by, let's say, averaging over past forecasts instead of just relying on the most recent one. Uh, and historically, this has helped minimize turnover uh, while still capturing the analyst sentiment uh, you know, efficiently in portfolios. Abhishek, though, was looking for analyst sentiment's explanatory power. It's potential to be thought of as a factor alongside momentum or beta. And part of that consideration is looking at how analyst sentiment was correlated with other factors. We have seen that analyst sentiment tends to have low correlation with factors such as value, quality, volatility, except for momentum, where we found that the correlation was moderate. Now, this shouldn't be surprising. Momentum is driven by investor sentiment. And so it is natural for it to exhibit some level of positive correlation with analyst sentiment. However, momentum and analyst sentiment are fundamentally different. Momentum, as we all know, is looking backwards, which stocks have done well uh, in the past. And the expectation is that they would continue their price trend and do well in the near future. Analyst sentiment, in contrast, is more fundamental in nature because it really accounts for all the analysis that the analyst is putting behind tracking those stocks. It is also more forward-looking in nature because it is really based off the future expectations of a company's performance. We have also found instances in the past when analyst sentiment and momentum have diverged from each other. The two were starkly different uh, during the dot-com period. We also saw a dip in their correlations uh, during the global financial crisis of 2008. Since analyst sentiment is forward-looking, uh, one would expect that uh, it, it would be able to sense inflection points in the market sooner than momentum. And that is what may have driven that divergence uh, between the two factors during periods of past crisis. Which lined up with something Hitendra said about momentum. Now, one may say, why is momentum performing well during a volatile market? Aren't there strong rotations that could hurt momentum? Well, if we look back, the trends that we've been talking about for the last year or so have remained the same. High inflation, recessionary concerns, uh, heightened volatility. And given these trends have been with us for a while, that set the train on momentum, and that's outperforming in the current market environment. Let's take a view of that from the investor perspective, as fraught and cloudy as it might be at the moment. In an environment like today's where, well, I won't go through the whole litany again of why things are so volatile, because you're all living it with me right now. But the question is, where does a responsible investor go just to find some diversification these days? Well, the biggest challenge, I think, for investors to diversify this year has been that the traditional equity bond mix hasn't worked out well, where treasuries have been really hit hard this year. We have seen some research, in fact, since 1975, I think there have been seven periods where a mix of, you know, U.S. equities and 10-year treasuries have underperformed, right? Have uh, underperformed, meaning had that 60-40 portfolio 
would have had a negative return. And this year, that portfolio uh, is sharply negative. That's created a challenge for investors to diversify across stocks and bonds. Now, what they're doing instead is they're looking at ways to diversify within equities. And the fact is that that hits out on some other themes that we've talked about in the past, which is this, you know, this movement towards deglobalization or regionalization, if you will. You know, the the result of deglobalization could be increased market volatility because there's a level of uncertainty, but also a reduction in the correlation across well-known equity markets. If correlations do decline, that means that investors can diversify across different regions and get that diversification benefit within equities. And we're, we're hearing from more and more clients who are really looking at the way to play uh, those diversification opportunities going forward within the equity market itself. So if we look at the world uh, through the lens of our global equity factor models, fundamental factors such as value or quality, they haven't done well in the third quarter compared to technical factors. And when we say technical factors, what we're referring to are those that are based on price or volatility, such as momentum, beta, and long-term reversal. We've seen heightened volatility in currencies, fixed income, commodities. We've also seen waning business confidence, and this all feeds into equity valuations. So when we look at the last quarter, we've seen uh, a tale of two halves. In the first part of the quarter, we saw the bear market rally where high beta stocks outperform low beta stocks. But when the U.S. inflation numbers were released uh, in the second week of September, uh, that pattern quickly reversed. And we've seen high beta stocks underperform low beta stocks uh, in the final weeks of the third quarter. Question is, where do we go from here? I think looking at volatility across markets, whether it be currencies, bonds, commodities and other asset classes, uh, volatility looks like it's here to stay. And so beta management remains critical going forward. In our latest Markets in Focus blog titled The Beta Pendulum, an edge or hedge? The question that we were asking is, how do I actually manage my top-down beta exposure? We've seen the steepest year-to-date decline in equities for over 45 years. And since that first half close, high beta stocks stage a very sharp recovery during what is now seen as a bear market rally, only to have reverse once uh, the core US inflation numbers had accelerated. And high inflation means uh, the Fed could remain hawkish for some time. Now, when we look at previous crisis periods, uh, high beta stocks tend to exhibit very wild swings during bear markets and early stage recoveries. And this pattern can add significant amount of volatility to equity portfolios. So investors who have exposure to high beta stocks, be it through industry plays such as semiconductors, technology or thematics, they could consider adding an allocation to minimum volatility to neutralize that high beta exposure while staying allocated to their core investment strategy. What about the fourth quarter and beyond for that matter? What are markets and the MSCI models indicating? So the derivatives market has experienced a record amount of put option volumes uh, as of late with elevated levels of implied volatility. 
So investors are willing to pay more for protection. Now, when you think about this, two measures, put high put volumes and high volatility, could indicate that investors are concerned about future risks going into the final quarter of 2022. Now, the adaptive model takes a similar stance. It's based on four pillars, the macro cycle, valuations, trends, and market sentiment. And as at the end of the third quarter, this multi-factor allocation model showed an overweight to momentum, an overweight to low volatility, and an overweight to quality. And overall, uh, these are defensive factors. And so this multi-factor allocation model is defensively positioned going into the final quarter. Now, this is no different to where we were three months ago. The model has very similar outcomes at the end of the quarter to what we experienced three months ago. And that has actually worked. Uh, momentum, low vol have been two factors that have led factor performance over the third quarter this year. So it sounds like we'll keep on keeping on, at least until the Fed decides it's popped the inflation balloon or Europe ceases to be a continent at war or until analysts see something that halts their downward revisions of corporate earnings or the dozens of other issues keeping investors up at night. In the face of all this, what about MSCI's clients? According to Mark, they're interested in engaging with us about how do you build a portfolio to meet your climate demands, but also have a bias toward an exposure you might want, whether that's value or quality or something else. So, you know, we're seeing because of the level of volatility in the markets that clients are really taking a look more deeply at things that a year ago they might not have even considered. And that's probably not unusual when things get volatile. Clients will say, look, maybe I need to look at things differently. Maybe I need to reconsider some uh, assumptions I have. And that is playing out both in what clients are telling us they're interested in, but also on what we can observe based on public investors allocating you know, to public funds. That story will continue to unfold this year, probably only beginning to unfold, uh, you know, at this at this point uh, in Q3. That's all for this week. A big thank you from Joe and me to Hitendra, Mark, and Abhishek, and to all of you for listening. For more of the markets in focus, you can read Hitendra's latest blog post and register for the webinar at msci.com. Next up on Perspectives, water. What is it good for? Well, a lot of things, obviously, and we're running out of it. It may just be time for investors to take the plunge and start treating water use the same way they treat other investment risks. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.